Hey, uh, thank you for, for being here. If you weren't here last week, we missed you. It was a fun Sunday of just, man, celebrating the resurrection through baptism and song and teaching, and it was, it was fun. And so uh, if you weren't here, we understand. But hey, you're here today, so it's good to see everybody. Um, we, that's funny. I don't need to tap the table. There we go. All right. Um, we're not in a series right now. We, we just left a series. It lasted about a year and a half. We've talked about that a little bit. And uh, in a couple of weeks from now, we're going to hop back into kind of a short one um, just to kind of get us there. But uh, generally, when we're not in these things, like I hate to, to let you in or I'll let you in into the pastoral process. Um, the way that I've done things over the past many years is I've just kind of gone in with expectation that God's going to show me something during the week you know, for our family. And so I love series because they're predictable. And these in-between weeks, sometimes they scare me because I'm like, hey, God, you know, like, I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to pray, and I want you to work in me, but also, like, give me something for our family, too. And so uh, Tuesday this week, I was sitting in my, my coffee shop office for the day, and, and I read through this text that we're going to look at today, and I shot Zach a text kind of immediately. And uh, just where it falls in Scripture and everything was just an, a neat place. And also kind of for us, after spending like a year and a half in the book of Mark, like we went through, especially like the last three months, like the heaviest portions of that book. And then we had the resurrection. We had, you know, all of that. And it was just heavy. And so today, like I equate the text that we're going to look at to kind of like the, the growth process of like child to parent. And I don't know, like, i got to give you a little more information. You might not be with me, but this is how it went for me. Like, as a kid, like a toddler, like, I just obeyed my parents. Like, that's just the way that it was. You know, and I know some toddlers are like, no, I'm not going to do that. But, you know, for the most part, like, I obeyed my parents. I stayed out of the road because the road was dangerous. I trusted my parents. And maybe I feared them a little bit, too. Um, but there were other things I didn't do. Like, I just obeyed them. And I don't know at what age that it was that rebellion entered my heart. But there was at some point in which I was like, pfft. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want. And there were consequences that followed that because, you know, at that age, you don't really realize that, like, your parents do know best because they're older, they're wiser, they've lived through it. You know, they've been stung by the yellow jackets that you're taunting now, or at least their ancestors. And so they know. They're telling you things for good reason. But either way, there's like this stage of rebellion. For a lot of people, maybe they don't hit it until they're a teenager or they're a daughter and she turns 10 and she has red hair. I don't know. Um, no, Liza's great. Just kidding. She's not in here now. So I can say it. She's, she's 16 living in a 10-year-old's body, but it's okay. She's, she's amazing. Um, but like, then there comes this other stage, this other transition, when we start to enter like that quasi-adulthood stage. And that's the point when the light kind of goes off and we start to realize, man, my parents are not as dumb as I thought they were. They, they spoke from experience. They spoke from wisdom. And maybe you didn't have those parents. If you didn't, I'm sorry. I did. Like, my parents are pretty amazing. My mom is crazy on a level 12. Um, but still, she had four kids, and that's the, three of them were triplets. I wasn't one, so anybody would be crazy at that point. And so, but, like, you get to this point, and you're like, wow, they, they really do know what they're talking about. And I think I got to this stage probably in my early 20s to where I just desired, uh, when tough situations came up, that they would just tell me what to do. That's all I really wanted. Like, you know, when you're buying your first car, like you're really buying your first car or the bank is buying it for you and then you're paying the bank back. Like, you know, when you have those decisions or when you're, when you're thinking about, do I take out this much student loan debt? There were times in my life where I just wanted to be like, hey, mom, dad, I know you're not going to do this because you're teaching me to grow up right now, but I would really love it if you would just, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Because I've, I've got enough experience with you now from a toddler to my rebellious years to these years that I, I just want to be told what to do. 
because there was peace in that. I could, I could trust my parents at that stage. I had seen it. I think the longer that, at least for me, like I statements, we talk about those in our community groups. For me, the longer that I've followed God and sought him through Christ and trusted the Holy Spirit, the more that I just, I long and I crave just to be told what to do. Like, and I know there's still a rebellious part of all of us. Like, there's still a rebellious part to where we don't want to be told what to do. Like, you're not going to tell me what to do. It's my life. These are my pants. I put them on. I paid for them. You're not going to tell me how to wear them. But I think the longer that we're in the saddle with God, the more that we can trust him because we can see that even in those rebellious years, he knew exactly what he was telling us to do, even if we obeyed or not. And now I get to this point that I'm just like, God, you know what? I trust you. We've got a track record. Just, just tell me what to do. I don't, want to have to, I don't want to have to figure it out. I don't want to have to rationalize my way around it. I don't want to have to, to do all of the hoops and stuff and, and all that stuff. I, I just want to be told what to do. When I read this passage on Tuesday, um, especially where it comes in the book of Romans, and especially after us coming off like a year and a half of like, you know, pretty heavy stuff, um, it just reminded me of one of those parental moments of just like, this is just, this is at its best. God just saying, hey, you know what? As a result of who you are, who I've made you to be now, just do this. Just do this. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to be in the latter part of Romans chapter 12. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open there. It's also going to be on the screen for us. Um, and to kind of give you a clue, uh, in the book of Romans, like Romans 12.1 marks a big shift. Like I don't know if you've ever spent a lot of time in Romans. I've been in, I've been in Romans for the past two, three weeks. And so like I, I love the book of Romans, but I'll even admit that like Man, those first, those first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are just, they're about as thick and chewy as you can get in Scripture. Like, they are dense. And, and basically what those first few chapters or those first, that first more than half of the book is telling us is basically like what it takes for sinful man to be accepted by a holy God. Basically, I mean, it's wrapping up what salvation looks like, how it happens, how it looks with a lot of words and a lot of density and a lot of stuff. And, and it goes into God's sovereign choosing, our willing submission, and how those things possibly work together. It talks about the people of Israel and then the Gentiles being grafted in. And it even talks about like how we handle the gospel, like the fact that we have been saved by grace, but now we get to take that grace in word form to everybody who will listen. But we don't get to do it unless we're sent. And people can't hear unless, I mean, believe unless they hear and they can't hear unless we're sent. So a lot of really, really thick ideas. But then we get to Romans 12. And so after all of these things of like, this is how salvation happens. Uh, this is how a merciful God displays his grace on you. Then it gets to, okay, you know who you are. Now as a result of who you are, begin to live like it. And so it is a lot like that, that quasi-adult phase to where I crave for my parents, just, hey, just, just tell me what to do. This through the person of Paul, uh, through divine inspiration, this is God telling his people, hey, Okay, you know who you are now as a result of Christ and Christ alone, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone. Now live in it, and this is what it looks like. And so we're not going to go through the first. Uh, we're not going to go through the first twelve verses, but I do want to kind of pitch chapter. I mean, chapter twelve, verse one and two. I'm going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen, so just bear with me a second. This is how he starts this chapter. He says, "I appeal to you, therefore." We'll talk about that therefore briefly, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. At the beginning of any uh, hermeneutics class or any class in which you're being taught on how to uh, rightly divide the word of God or just interpret scripture based on what it's saying and only what it's saying, 
they, they tell you a couple things. Number one, if Scripture repeats itself three times, pay attention. It's, it's something very important. But number two, if therefore appears, you always ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? Like, it's just one of those elementary Bible questions. And so this therefore marks that shift in the book of Romans. And it, he just he says it really quickly. He's like, I appeal to you or I beg you, I urge you, therefore, as a result of everything that I've just talked about, Paul didn't write in chapters. Those were put in later. Uh, but he's like, for the bulk of this letter that I've been discussing you, discussing with you, uh, think about those things, who you are, and now as a result or therefore, think like this. And the first couple things that he says is like, your body, your life, make it a living sacrifice. Don't kill it on the altar, but place it on the living altar that is Jesus and say, it's yours. Take with it, do whatever you want with it. My life is lost, your life is gained. I want you to take mine, do with it whatever you want. Send me however you want, take me wherever you want, make me into whatever you want me to be, but just do that. And then his second instruction, he's like, but don't be like the world. Don't pour yourself into the picture that is the world and let it shape you, let it mold you, let it make you. Instead, be transformed away from that by the renewing of your mind. Let God change the way that you think down to the very DNA of your brain, how you think, how you process, how you love, how you give, how you avoid sin, how you accept grace, how you accept mercy, all of those things. Let God change you from the inside out. Live that way so in doing so, you will actually know what God wants for you. Therefore, and so, and then the very next section talks about the gifts that are given to the church, how we live those out, and then we get to verse 9. And again, it's just like this very parental, just as a result of who you are, who God has made you to be, not your actions, not your good works, not your good thoughts, not your best clothes, but who God has made you to be, live like this. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to look at verses 9 through 13 today, and, and then I'll, we'll talk about that. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Uh, thank you so much for Jesus. God, I, I, I continually am reminded that the focus of our worship, the focus of our life, it must be him and him alone. Um, thank you that he's worthy of that. Thank you that, uh, God, thank you that he's the cornerstone of our faith. God, thank you that he is the beginning and the end. Thank you that, uh, God, he is the one that started everything, continues everything, and brings it to fulfillment. And God, thank you that through him we can know you, be known by you, and make you known and experience the therefore. Um, today, God, in this simple kind of parental advice, I pray that we see the richness and the beauty of just you, our God, telling us how then we should live. Um, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your direction that is brought forth through wisdom. And thank you for your love that was displayed through Jesus. It's in his name. Amen going to read verses 9 through 13. A couple times I will reference the New Living Translation. I'm reading from the ESV, but uh, when I was just kind of texting with Zach this week, he was like, man, it might be a good idea to kind of toss in the New Living a little bit. Great idea because Romans is thick and wordy, and, uh, and the New Living does a good job at just kind of parting that out for us. Verse 9, it says, here's the first thing, believe it or not, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, normally, um, I think in a, in a homiletics class or a class in which they teach you how to teach scripture. They, they tell you a couple things. They're like, well, you need, this is also like writing an essay. I don't know if you remember going through creative writing in college. They're like, you need an introduction. 
You need a body, and you need a closing. When they're, when they're trying to walk you through and teach you how to teach Scripture, they're like, you need a strong introduction, okay? Then you need some exegetical, then you need some points. I'll tell you today, I'm not going to have any points. Here's the deal. With these, with these verses, each verse is just, is just really, it's just straight application. And I, I crave that, like I do. Like there's no, there's no deep Greek digging that we need to do in this text, Okay, it is like it is just like sitting across the table with your dad at Waffle House and he's just saying, son, okay, now that you're a man, number one, stop putting creamer in your coffee. You don't need it. <laughs> and he's like, every second oil change, rotate your tires. You know, he's just telling you what to do based on years of experience. The coffee thing, that's, that's subjective because on Sunday mornings, I will use cream and I will use hot chocolate in my coffee. And it's amazing. It's the only day of the week that I'll do it. Um, but I have a treat and a, and a little extra hype on Sunday mornings. But either way, every other day, no, no cream. Um, so, but, it, you know, it's just like that. It's just like sitting across the table and him just telling you, hey, this is what you need to do. And this is how Paul starts in this section right here. The first thing he says is, let love be genuine. I find it so amazing, so fascinating, so reassuring, and so beautiful that the first thing that he starts with is love. And he just says, let it be real. Let it be real. Don't let it be in word alone. Don't let it be in fake action, but let it be like genuine. Let it be sincere, not in pretense, but in reality. It all starts with how we love. Let it be real. This should be the very first marker in the life of a Christian that is evident to a world that desperately needs Jesus, the way that we love. It should be obvious. It should be conspicuous. It should be weird. It should be a little off-putting for people who don't know God, the way that we love. The way that we love in reality, like the way that we love one another, which we'll get to in just a minute, the way that we love God, the way that we love people who are outside of the faith, all of those things, it should just look odd by comparison to the rest of the world. Remember, going back to 12 and 1 and 2, where he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world or the shape of this world. In this case, he's saying, look, do not love the way the world says that you need to love. Love the way you saw Christ do it. That's going to be the instruction. Like, because a lot of times we have instruction here, but we don't necessarily have a benchmark in the rest of life, but in Scripture we do. Anytime that it tells us to love, uh, we can go back and we can look at the person, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the words of Jesus, because we know that he showed love better than anyone else. You read the whole book of 1 John, which is a book of indicators about whether or not we have been bound to and united with Christ. Like, it talks about this love, and it just makes this simple statement, God is love. That's what he is, his character his, his holiness, his righteousness, it's all wrapped up in the fact that he loves perfectly without error, without transgression, just perfectly, fully, completely. And Jesus was, when we look at him, we've seen the Father, so we can look at Jesus and say, okay, if we want to know what it looks like to love, let's look at Christ, how he did it, how he loved his disciples, how he loved sinners, how he loved those that were trying to kill him, how he loved all those people. We look at the cross, we can see it all over the place. Let love be sincere. Let it be real. Let it be true. Let it be genuine. It starts there. This should be the distinguishing characteristic of a Christ life. 1 John 4, 7, just kind of quickly as a reference, um, says, Beloved, pretty clear again, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This love that he says, let it be genuine, it should be the distinguishing characteristic of who we are. This should be the great uh, revealer of our new identity in Christ, love. It all flows from there. 
every single bit. Everything else that we're going to read, it all flows from how we love, and it needs to be genuine. He continues on and gives a little more meat to this, and uh, he says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Really simple. Not a word that we use a whole lot, but abhor just really means just, just hate it. Hate evil. Like for us, the, the greatest expression of evil is always going to be sin. We see that Jesus hated it so much that he hung on the cross. He died on behalf of us for our sin so that we could be rid of it, so that he could take the place of it, so that my sin could be placed squarely on him and it could be removed from me, all of its implications. Hate it. Don't, don't like entertain it. Don't like let it come in and just accept part of it. Don't let it take root in your life. No, 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 just, just hate it. Really simple. It's the only thing in Scripture that we're going to be told like to hate and sin's it. We're never going to be told to hate a person. We're never going to be told to hate a practice, but we are going to be told to hate sin. It's there. It's in Scripture. And it's the one thing that God hates. And if we're united with, with Him through Jesus, then we hate what he, we, he hates. We love what He loves. And the one thing He hates is evil on display through sin. So we just hate it. I mean, that's just like simple fatherly advice. Just don't like the bad stuff. Stay away from the bad stuff. Like I remember my parents, like there, were, there was always the the direction, especially when we, would, when we would leave the house, you know, and basically their way, you know, they always had that very parental phrase of remember who you are. Now, there was subtext in that, and my mom, basically, it was remember who you are, because if you don't, I will break both of your legs, and sometimes she verbally said that, but, but basically, they were telling us, stay away from the bad stuff. Now, sometimes they would list the bad stuff. They would tell us what they meant, but most of the time, we knew we just knew. As believers who are indwelled by the very Spirit of God, believe it or not, uh, most often we really don't need them written out in front of us to know the things that we need to avoid. The Spirit is in us, guiding us, convicting us of sin before it even happens. And very often if we just stop and we listen for a moment, we know, I don't need to go towards that. I need to stay away. If I ask you for a show of hands, like how many times have you just felt that, that thing inside of you since following Jesus of saying, stop, just don't do that? Maybe you did stop. Maybe you didn't. The problem is the longer we go without stopping, the less we hear that voice because sin does cloud the voice of God. It does hinder our ability to hear from God, but it's always so clear in that moment when we just hear, stop, just don't go any further. Avoid the bad stuff. Hate evil. Stay away from sin. But then it says this too, in contrast to that, it says, uh, abhor what is evil, but cling to or uh, hold fast to what is good. Let go of the bad, hold on to what is good. Like that hold fast idea is just like cling on to for your dear life. Imagine hanging off the side of a cliff and there is one branch between you and the bottom. That's 200 feet down, which represents death. If there's a branch, you're going to hold on to until every muscle in your forearm rips away from the bone. You're going to hold fast as long as you possibly can. You're going to cling on for your life. And this is the same idea with the good things, the God things, the things he's directing us in. Just hold on. Keep those. Let go of the bad. Hold on to the good. Simple advice. And again, just like the, the Spirit teaches us, guides us, convicts us when the bad there, he, he does direct us towards the good too. And like this list would be long and it would be distinguished of just like, man, good is, is pursuing God. Good is pursuing God through community. Good is pursuing God through prayer. Good is pursuing God's plan through your, for your life through Scripture. Good is all of those things. And the, and the list goes on and on. But it's just 
the thing that God leads us in, the thing that God guides us in, the things that God sets us before, like we pursue those and we hold on to them. We cling to them, hold tightly. And I, I love one translation that just says, insist on the good things. Insist on the good things. Like, make sure at, at every turn in which we have any uh, miraculous ability to have control over a situation, we insist on the good things, which sometimes means we just keep the bad things out. I'm not trying to give you a legalistic mindset, but there are, there are a ton of times in which we let the bad in because we're just like, it's really not that bad. It's really not so bad. I don't, I don't, I don't really know that there are degrees of bad and good. I think, you know, Scripture just doesn't say, hey, stay away from the semi-bad or, or, or cling to the semi-good, but it's just evil and good. And we have to ask for discernment from God and the Spirit through the way that He reveals Himself through Scripture and through others and all the ways that He deals with us. Hey, God, show me the good, show me the bad, so that I can let go of one and I can cling on to the other. So I can keep those. So He says, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And then verse 10, next point. Love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. That, that in, in Scripture, you probably have heard it, that, that love has like three different basic Greek words. We have, we have agape, which is like God, unconditional kind of love. Uh, we, have, uh, we have eros, which is like, you know, it's where we get the word erotic, to be honest. So it's like that passionate kind of marital love. And then we have phileo or, or Philadelphia, which is like brotherly love, like family love. And it just says right here. So first it starts off with let love be genuine, stay away from evil, hold fast to what is good. And then it's just like, hey, with the one another's, love each other like family. Love each other like family. Like one thing that I'll always praise the Origins family about is, man, you guys do a great job at loving each other. You do a great job. Like if you've been a part of this faith family for a long time, hopefully you've felt it, you've been on the receiving end of it, whether it's moving help, whether it's a meal train, uh, whether it's just a call or text in the midst of losing a loved one, uh, whether it's flowers at a funeral, whatever it may be. Like there have been beautiful, demonstrative ways in which you have been loved by your family. And to be honest, we, we don't give a whole lot of instruction about that, but it's a working of the Holy Spirit that is inside of us to let us know that, yes, we have been bound to God vertically, but we've been bound to one another horizontally. And as a result, we behave, we love, we treat like family. But here there's instruction. So it just makes it all the more real of Paul just looking at the people. He's like, look, when you look at one another, love them like family. Now, I think, again, for me, I had, I had a good playground of teaching for this with my family. Like, I, my family's amazing. We got to see almost all the family last night for, um, for a birthday kind of a deal for my daughter. And uh, we went and had hibachi, and it was good. But the whole family came over to our house afterwards last night. Nobody wanted to leave. Like, all the kids just wanted to stay downstairs. The kids were in the basement on the gymnastic stuff and hitting heavy bag and that kind of stuff. And, and my son, who was going to stay with some of the other cousins, he's at our house all the time. He's like, can we just leave now? And I'm like, look, we're having a good time right now. Let's just hang out. But they just didn't want to leave. Like, I love that feeling. Like, I love walking from the back of the room this morning. And even though we started late, like, I don't love starting late because it messes with my mind. But I love the fact that people are just kind of gathered around and they're just... They're just talking, and nobody really wants to sit down yet because they're just enjoying talking, enjoying catching up. What'd you do last week? I don't know. What'd you do last week? What'd you eat? Did you have banana pudding? I did, and it was amazing. Um, just little things like that, just that, that thing of, man, I, I just want to be around you, and I really don't want to leave. You know, there have often been complaints about our community groups that, man, it just, it just didn't seem like it was going to end, and people never left. Well, I'm sorry. 
Sometimes that happens. It just, you know, people standing around for 20 minutes in your living room and just nobody really wants to leave, even though you got to put the kids to bed. It's okay. Love each other like family. Maybe some of you didn't have that growing up. Maybe you didn't come from that. You've got an opportunity for it now. Figure it out. Look to people who do it well. Learn from them. Ask them questions. Again, look at the way that Jesus did it. Look at the way that the people that you trust and love do it and say, I I do. Like, I want to be loved like that, and I want to love like that. And maybe at some point, maybe you just confess, I don't know how to do that. Okay. That's okay. I don't know how to do that. Here's what you do. First thing, just like we talked about with our doubts last week, you go to God who created love, who knows best how to use it. Say, God, I I don't really know how to do that. Can you teach me? And he will. Like, that's the crazy thing. Like, if we're asking God to teach us how to love, what objection could he possibly have with that? Not a single one. Yeah, he'll teach you how to love. Look to Jesus, and then look to the people around you that do it well. Maybe spend more time with them. Maybe hang out around their table a little more. Figure it out. Learn by example. Love one another with brotherly affection. Love each other like family. And then here's an interesting, interesting thing. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Can you throw up 12 and 10 in the New Living Translation real quick? It says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Like, I love that phrase. Like, take delight in honoring one another. Like, maybe we don't think about this a whole lot. Maybe we don't think about what this, this means. But to honor is to accord recognition and show appreciation. Like a, you know, just kind of a verbatim definition. To accord, uh, accord recognition and show appreciation. Like take delight in that. Enjoy edifying. Enjoy encouraging. Enjoy building one another up. Because that way we're showing each other honor. We're saying, look, you know what? Uh, this is what I'm going to do. Because the other times in Scripture that honor is talked about, it's saying, hey, don't worry about yours. Worry about theirs. Don't worry about your honor. Worry about theirs. Show them mercy. Show them grace. Show them encouragement. Show them edification. Uh, Take delight in that. Find joy in telling your brother or your sister whom you love like family that you know what you're doing? You're doing a pretty good job. Your life looks pretty swell right now. Maybe you don't use those words. That's okay. But either way, find an opportunity just to say, you know what? I I know you. We're, We're family. I'm watching you. I know it's been hard, but you're doing a good job. You're doing well. Maybe even say this, thank you for loving me well. Thank you for being that person that I look to to teach me what it looks like to love family. Maybe you say something like that. I got a call from, from one, of, one of my good friends this week, and he, uh, he said, I apologize. I'm probably going to cry on the phone. And I'm like, it's okay. Those are the best kind of friends to have. And he just spent like three minutes and just, just like encouraged the mess out of me. Like just encouraged the mess out of me. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I don't even have words right now. So thank you. Just thank you for doing that. Maybe, maybe just stop every now and then and find delight and find joy in telling your brother or your sister that A, you love them, B, they're fighting the good fight, and C, you enjoy being family with them. Something that simple. And you're like, it really can't be that easy. It really can be that easy. Because think about the last time you did or did not get a text like that and what it did just for your day. And we're not talking about self-help and fixing ourselves. No, we're talking about what God is telling us to do through the person of Paul, speaking to spiritual infants and young spiritual people in the, in the church of Rome. He's like, look, find great joy in encouraging one another, building them up. Find great joy there. 
And so that's about you. It's also about them. It's about us, actually, God giving us joy because we're taking care of one another with word, with deed. But it's also about them knowing, you know, they're being taken care of. So find, find great joy in there. Honoring one another, accord recognition, and show appreciation. And the interesting thing about this, like it's talking about the one another's, and so there is this little bitty idea that we need to be aware of, like our encouraging one another or our showing honor to one another is not merit-based. It's family-based. We encourage and we show honor just because they too have been yoked to God through Jesus, and now they are one another's. They're family. Find joy in encouraging them. Find joy in honoring them. In the ESV, it actually says, like, outdo one another in showing honor. Like this idea of, hey, you know what? You're going to honor me? Watch me. I'm going to honor you more. You know, imagine, imagine like a relationship like that when, when both people are trying so hard to show more honor to each other than, than the other. Like, imagine. Like, that's a pretty great relationship. Now, granted, as a result of sin, as a result of our brokenness, party A is going to do really good on one day, party B is going to do bad, and then next week is probably going to be reversed. But imagine that perfect day, which is probably a Thursday. I don't know why, but Thursdays are good when both parties are like, you, you want to honor me? Hey, watch me honor you. I'm going to do it better, but you're doing pretty good. But let's, let's just see who wins. Both people leave feeling pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11 makes a pretty interesting shift because right now in, in verses 9 and 10, it's been about the horizontal relationships for the most part, like how we love each other and, and, and staying away from good, I mean, accepting good, staying away from bad, uh, and then how we, we honor one another. But verse 11 kind of takes it back to the vertical. And it says this in the ESV. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Again, let me throw up the New Living Translation. It just says this. Never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. That feels like point C. Like, I mean, that, that's how we would write it. Just don't be lazy. Work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Talking to people who have been bound to God through Jesus, Paul's just looking at them like, look, don't be lazy when it comes to serving Jesus. Like, run to him. Go after him. Make every effort to take, take the things that he's given you and put them in practice and and. Don't be a sloth about it. Don't, you know, the sloth. We've all watched Ice Age. Moves real slow, speaks real slow. Don't be that guy. Like, run after God. I mean, that's about as simple and, and, and basic as we can get. Just, just don't be lazy. Don't be a bomb. Work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. When you're, when you're serving the Lord, don't have a frown on your face. Be happy about it. Understand that you've been equipped, enabled, and actually given permission to serve the Lord now, which we didn't have before salvation. There's no way that we could please God before salvation. There's no way that we could enter his courts with praise. There's no way that we could find joy in making ourselves a servant and humbling ourselves. But now it says you can as a result of Jesus. Therefore, all of those things that came before this, you are yoked to God through Christ, and now you can find joy in being a servant to him. And don't be lazy about it. The best, most simple advice that we can have as Christ followers, just go after God with fervor. We chase so many things hard until we're exhausted and we don't even find joy in it. But the beautiful thing about this is, look, when we find God, He grants us joy. He grants us more endurance and He grants us more permission to follow Him longer, to chase Him harder, to go after Him and to know Him deeper. And through the process, He gives us just uncharacteristic, out-of-this-world, supernatural acceptance of the reality that awaits before us regardless of circumstance. Joy. 
Don't be lazy. We put forth effort in so many things, but for some reason the world says, you don't have to try really hard for this. That is a lie. We need to work hard. Not to earn salvation, but because we've already been given it. Therefore, because we've already been given it. I'm guilty of it. Do you know what the, the other idea of this is? is uh, don't, um, don't trust spiritual inertia. Don't, don't rest on what you learned yesterday. Don't trust just how you are. Instead, build spiritual momentum for speaking in terms of physics. Spiritual inertia is just like, hey, God, you pushed me forward, and I'm just going to coast. I'm good. But momentum is we put in effort to gain speed, to go further, to go faster, to go deeper with God. Build spiritual momentum. Don't rest on inertia. Maybe you didn't like physics. I thought it was pretty fun. I even remember Sokotoa. Do you all remember Sokotoa? Yeah, I do. Opposite over hypotenuse, all of those things. Anyway, we're going to move on. I want to reread that again. Just never be lazy, work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Mm. Next verse, pretty straightforward as well. Verse 12. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. <laughs> again, these verses are kind of doing my job for me. Like there's, there's nothing, there's not, I mean, just rejoice in hope. Number one, just sit there and look at the fact that your trajectory in life has been defined by a holy God, not by you. We know where we're going to end up. We know that nothing can steal us from the hand of God. We know that there's nothing we can do to undo what God has already done. Now, we can screw up. We can sin. There's repentance. There's confession. God forgives, brings us back into a right relationship with Him, but it is quality of relationship, not actual reality of a relationship. We can't break that. But again, we should still run hard. Don't be lazy, but rejoice in hope. Like rejoice in hope. The fact that hope has been made manifest to us through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, we can know God through him. We get to rejoice in that. Even when your day is terrible, you can still have hope. Even when your day is great, you can still have hope. Even when your day is just kind of a Wednesday, you can still have hope. Yes, I am ascribing value to days of the week because some days are just better than others. And Wednesdays generally are right up there with Mondays for some reason. I don't know why. Actually, my Mondays are pretty good. Mondays are my day off. I, I love Mondays. But for the rest of you folks that work on Mondays, I get it. Mondays, not fun. But on every day, regardless of the quality or the characteristics of that day, hope's still there. Because Jesus is still there. His status has not changed. Your place in life has not changed. Your terminal finding of or foundling will, will not change. You can still have hope. Regardless of what your day is held. Your eternity is the same. If you have been bound to God through Jesus. Hope. Remember, hope is not the same thing as happiness. Okay? Because some days you're, you're going to be sad. If somebody told you that you can have a day where you're not sad, it will never happen again, they lied to you. There will be days in which you're just, you're just sad. Life deals us some hard things sometimes. Like right now, Colin Pasha, like some good friends of ours, Colin and Lindsay. Colin's in, uh, up with his family right now because he lost his grandmother last week. Be sure to pray for him. I can assure you, Colin is sad right now, but he can still have hope. 
Because eternity is still there. It hasn't changed. Rejoice in hope. Second, again, not a lot of explanation necessary, but we will give a little. Be patient in tribulation or just be patient in times of trouble. Like, again, like I said, there will be sad days. There will be troubled days, too. They're going to happen. We live in a broken world, impacted by sin, busted up by sin. There will be days that are just bad. It's going to happen. But in those days, we have, we have one of a couple choices. One, uh, we can run really hard to try to fix it ourselves, not include God in those plans, in which case we usually end up tired, out of gas, and not feeling very hopeful or joyful. Or we can say, God, you know what? I'm going to do the things that I know that I need to do. I'm going to pursue you. Uh, I'm going to run hard after you. I'm not going to be lazy, even in the midst of difficult days, and I'm just going to trust you to work them out. Or see, we can do nothing. I'll tell you, option B is the one that we want. <laughs> if we're going to be patient in tribulation or patient in the times of trouble, it just means that, God, I'm going to do those good things. I'm going to stay away from evil. I'm going to cling to what is good. I'm going to continue to do that, even though this day is terrible, and I'm going to trust that you're going to work it out. I live in a broken world, and I'm going to experience brokenness, but I'm not broken anymore. Praise God Almighty, so I'm just going to continue. I'm just going to continue, and I'm going to trust that you're going to work it out. Again, like in, in community group last week, we talked about some things in which God has changed our mind on or removed some doubts about. And again, kind of like I'm at a place right now where I just, I just want God to tell me what to do. I don't want to have to understand it. I don't want to have to work it out. I'm just good with that. I'm good for him just to say, hey, do this, don't do this. And I'm like, okay, I trust you in that. I'm also at a place now where, where God, thankfully, he's removed worry for about tomorrow for me. Like, I just don't worry about tomorrow anymore. Because he's taken care of my tomorrow so many times, over and over and over. I trust him with my tomorrow, even if today stinks. And I may not be there next year, but right now I am. Praise God that I'm right there right now. Like, I just, I trust God with my tomorrow. Even if today is terrible. Because he's proven over and over and over that I got you. I got you. Even if you don't understand, even if you don't feel it, even if you can't comprehend it, I, I have you. You're going to be okay. I encourage you, just like in the words of Paul, I urge you, brothers and sisters, find a way that you trust God with your tomorrow, even if today's horrible. My bad today doesn't change who God is. My circumstance will never dictate who or how God is. It just won't happen. Your circumstance will never dictate who or how God is. It just it can't happen. My immediate can't change the eternal. It's not possible. I don't have that power in me. But what I do have is the ability to be obedient, and God's told me, I've got you over and over and over. Not only has he told me, but he's shown me. He can do the same with you. Zero doubts. I can say that emphatically. He'll take care of you. Be patient in trouble. Be patient in tribulation. Pursue God. Let him do what he's going to do. And then, just be constant in prayer. I think we've heard that before. Just be constant in prayer. And like this is, again, it's not, God, I'm going to petition you all day long for the things that I want to see to happen. No, prayer is just our relational, conversational deal with God. We can do it all day long. I love the spontaneous times. I've talked about it. Like I'm in the car a lot. Like that's, that's like my second office. And sometimes I'll just find myself. And I didn't even know when it started, but I've just been talking to God for like five minutes. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know when it happened, but we've just been kind of having a conversation. Now, do I hear him like I hear him in the speaker of the car? No, I don't. 
Okay, there, are, there have been a few times in my life where I've heard the audible voice of God, but most of the time in, in my F-150, that's not when it happens. But it's just that conversational time of just, I'm not just asking God to do stuff, but I'm telling God what I think about Him. I'm telling God what I thought about today. Like we talked about last week, maybe I'm confessing doubt. Maybe I'm confessing angst, whatever it may be. Maybe I'm just telling God, man, I'm so grateful for what you're doing right now, but it's just, it's just that conversation. And it just happens. Make sure and, and understand that, that prayer is not confined to a 15-minute period in the morning or a 15-minute period at night or maybe right before you eat or right before you put your kids down to bed. Are those times bad? No, they're great, and we need to do that. But understand that all day long at any given point in time, not just in the foxhole, not just on the mountaintop, not in the, just in the valley, but at any time of the day, we can just say, hey, God, I had a thought. I wanted to share it with you. <laughs> Whatever it may be, be constant in prayer. And, and I will even say this. Even though it's in the same verse, it's not just when we're in tribulation and trouble either. That's not a modifier here. These are, these are three different ideas, but just can, you know, constituting who we are as believers and things that we need to do. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Three ideas, one sentence, but not dependent upon one another. You can be in constant prayer when things are great. Or when things are bad. Or when they're just, mm, Wednesday. It's okay. Verse 13, he switches back to the, the horizontal here. Pretty clear. We're going to read it here, then I'll, we'll throw it up in the New Living Translation too. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and contribute uh, uh, and, and seek to show hospitality. The first New Living Translation is going to say, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. How do you explain that? You don't have to. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. If you see a need and you can meet a need and they're in the one another's, hey, meet that need. That's just what it is. And I'm, here, here's what needs to happen for this. There's kind of some read between the lines kind of a thing. We don't need to hold on so tightly to our stuff. Like read Acts 2. Like go ahead. I dare you. Read Acts 2. Okay, read this verse, read them together, read them on the same day, read them day after day for about five to six days a week, and I promise you'll be convicted to start opening up your hands a little bit and realize that my stuff is really not my stuff. God's letting me hold on to it so that I can use it for his glory, his kingdom, and the riches of his people. Origins is a very generous family. During COVID, like, unstinking, believable generosity on display. We didn't ask for money. We didn't ask for stuff. We didn't ask you to look at other people within our church and say, hey, who needs help? But you know what? People came to us and they said, hey, um, is there a family right now that because of COVID is struggling? And we could honestly answer, yep, there are a couple. Hey, well, don't tell them I gave you this. You don't even need to tell me who this is, but I'm going to give you a check. And would you, would you somehow make sure they get it? And we're like, okay. Got to do that on multiple occasions. It brought me great joy. <laughs> I mean, that was, I mean that's, that's crazy talk. Like, hey, I don't even know who they are, but I know they're part of this family, and if you tell me that they're struggling right now, I'm going to write you a check, or I'm going to bring you cash, and I'll be like, please write a check. It's a little safer for me, but, but bring, bring a check, and we'll deposit in the bank. Then we'll cut a check to them, and we won't tell them who it's from. And we won't even tell you who, it's, who, who they are. Okay, that's fine. And then you get to go to, some, go to lunch with somebody, wearing a mask, of course, and just say, hey, um, I'm going to give you this. No explanation necessary, but, but there's somebody in the church that doesn't know who you are, and you don't know who they are, but they just said they love you, even though they don't know. But can you, yeah, just take it. 
Contribute to the needs of the saints. Take care of the needs within the family. Don't ask questions. Understand that what God puts here, he passes over to here so that we can just say, who, who needs it? And I know that's hard. Like, I get it. Like, I get it. I understand. We work hard for our money. I think there was a song in the early 80s about that. Um, and I'm not going to sing it now. But, you know, working hard for your money, that, that, that's, that's normal. And that phrase, working hard for my money, like, I get it. That's hard. But I know that my mom and dad, they always fed me, and they never asked me to pay them back. I know my parents always put clothes on my back, and they never asked me to pay them back. Family does conspicuously odd things if we know we're family and if we love like it. And so I would encourage you, like, if the thought of this bothers you, number one, tell God. Like, God, I don't want to let go of my stuff. Can you help me? And he will. He will contribute to the needs of the saints or when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. I love it. Man, it's been so fun to watch. It's, I mean, it's, it has. Like, it's been fun to watch. I, I will add to this, too. I'm not adding to Scripture, but I'm, I'm adding an idea that I think needs to be understood. If you're on the receiving end of that, if you're one of those people that you needed help and somebody helped you, just take it. I remember, I mean, I remember being a starving college student in Columbia, being a married man and working as close to full-time as I could and struggling with that and going to school full-time and trying to be a husband and a guy walking up and saying, hey, I don't know why, um, but I feel like God's telling me that you guys need about $600 a month. You know what my response was? No, nah, man, I'm fine. My inner thought was, holy cow, that would be amazing. And I had to go back and eat my words about two weeks later and be like, hey, Rob, um, remember a couple weeks ago when you offered that... Um, That'd be, that'd, be, that'd be really great. They supported us for like two years. Crazy. Never mentioned, like, I, I don't know if I showed up to work with holes in my clothes or what. Like, I don't know what it was, but I hope it was the Spirit of God just directing them, hey, uh, we want to take care of you. And I was prideful, and I said, no. If you're on the receiving end of that, and somebody offers to bless you, and they're trying to live this out when God's people are in need, be ready to help them, just say, man, thank you so much. Don't worry about your pride. It's not very important. Just let it go. Just take it take it. And then later down the road, and this, this is not karma. I'm not talking about karma. I'm talking about being obedient. When you're able, do the same. And go back to that moment when you accepted and it met a great need in your life. And then the last thing he says, seek to show hospitality. Different connotation here in text than what we understand. I think in, in, in the text here, like they would have understood there's no way that the gospel could have grown and spread without hospitality. Because what happened is, like for Paul, for instance, Paul would go from city to city to city, and he wouldn't stay in a hotel. He would stay in someone's home. And they would grow a church in someone's home. And they would grow until they outgrew that home, and then they would go to another home. And what was required every time was someone that owned that home to say, hey, come in, take what's mine, make it yours for as long as you need. Paul, you can stay three days, three months, three years, whatever that needs to be, whatever that looks like. Um, I, I want to tell you what is mine is yours. It's almost like that same idea of contribute to the needs of the saints, continuation of that. Hospitality is not just welcoming people into your home, but it's telling people that my home is your home. And I know that's hard. Man, because the bank says that this is my home for 30 years, unless you're doing a 20-year, which is pretty smart. Maybe you paid with cash and it's all yours, but the bank still owns part of my home. But either way, like my home can't be just my home. 
Like, my home can't be my castle. My home needs to be a tool. It needs to be a hospital. It needs to be a place of rest. It needs to be all of those things. And, and probably, most likely, it doesn't need to be that just one night a week. But it's a good start. It's a good start. For our community group hosts, man, uh, for the Colors, the Bonners, the Pashas, the Middletons, the Bowens, man, thank you guys so much for saying, you know what, my home, at least once a week, whoever needs it. Stay as long as you want. Drink all of my coffee. Decaf if you're an adult, and it's after 6 p.m., you know, sparkling waters, they're in the fridge. Take those. They're fine. They're calorie-free. They help you break your addiction to Dr. Pepper, hypothetically speaking. Take all those. Drink those. Do whatever. There's even heavy cream in the fridge. You can use that. Hospitality. Hospitality is not just inviting people into your home, but it's saying, hey, my home, my four walls, they're yours. You need them? Take them. You need a couch? I got one. You need Wi-Fi? With high upload speed, come and use that. Whatever. The things that God calls us to do, while they sound fun, and while they sound simple, compared to the shape of the world, they shouldn't be normal. They shouldn't be normal. They shouldn't be normal to the point that Paul's very first instruction in this chapter is like, look, don't, don't look like the world. Don't let it shape you. Don't be conformed to their patterns, their ways, the way that they love, the way that they, the way that they give, the way that they're charitable. No, we're called to do more. We're called to do it better. We're called to do it like Jesus. And some days, that's incredibly easy. Some days, that's incredibly hard. But it doesn't change. It doesn't change what we're being told to do. It doesn't change like this patrilineal, this, this fatherly advice that he gives us of, hey, as a result of who you are, your life should look different. I don't know if anybody's told you that. As a result of Jesus, your life should look different. It just should. Because Jesus was totally different. Like we've been talking about for the past several months. He wasn't normal. Wasn't normal. Unlike any other rabbi that we've ever seen before. Not like any prophet that we've ever seen before. Why? Because he wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just a prophet. He was God with skin on walking among us. Living amongst us. Our life must be different. It must be different to show that, that we know who we know, but it also must be different to show those who don't know who we know, who they can know. That's a lot of words, but it's, it's the reality. This week in community groups, we're, we're just going to talk through it. Are we doing this? Are we not doing this? How's it going? Where do we need help? That's what we want to do. If you're not in a community group and you'd love to be in one, just hop on the website. You can find where all of them are. If you're going for the very first time, shoot the leader a, a message so that they can know you're coming, tell you about any changes to expect, anything like that. But we'd love to see you there. Um, I'm going to pray. Zach's going to have uh, some announcements for us, and we're going we're gonna to scoot on out of here after we tear down, of course, and you help us graciously. Thank you. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the simple instruction of just do this. Think this way. Be like this. Um, God, I, I crave those. And, and I pray as a people, God, who are pursuing you and trusting you with the direction of our life, the quality of our life, uh, the bulk of our life. God, I pray that you would make a people who just trust you at your word, who just do as we're told. And I know that that doesn't sound fun, but God, with, with you, as we can trust you and we can know you and we can know that, that you want what's best for us. You're working together all things for the good of those who love you and called according to your purpose. God, we can trust you in that with the do's and the do nots. Uh, bring us to a place of faith that looks like that. Thank you. Uh, thank you for making us one with you through Jesus. Thank you for allowing us to know you. Um, 
to make you known. God, we love you. Thank you. Amen.